Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Welcome to this episode of the INS Infusion Room. Today I have with me Marlene Steinheiser, and Marlene is the Director of Clinical Education for the Infusion Nurses Society. Welcome, Marlene. Thank you, Don. I'm so glad you could be with me in the studio today. Yes, thank you. And happy Friday. And if it's not Friday when they're listening, it will be Friday soon because one comes around every week, right? (laughs) Yep. So we have a few things to talk about today. So I'm going to put it in three categories. The first category I want to talk about is gratitude and acknowledgement. And we are posting this on the first week of Nurses Month. Remember how it used to be Nurses Day? Mm-hmm. And and then we had Nurses Week. And now we are um, in a Nurses Month celebration. So to everyone out there, happy Nurses Week. Happy Nurses Month, Happy Nurses Day. We are so appreciative of everything that that our clinicians do. Um, We know, and it goes without saying, so many of us have experienced things over the past year that have been really life-changing. And we we want to take a moment to think about that. We want to think about um, the work that has been accomplished and the work that continues. Marlene? Yeah, I was reflecting upon our conversation and what might come of our conversation today, thinking about infusion nursing. And I went back to our website of the posting that we have on our our webpage about what infusion nursing means and what we do. And, you know, I looked at that and, you know, you say that you specialize in the practice of infusion therapy. And I looked back and it really hasn't been since 19... 40s, the 1940s, where we were permitted to perform IV therapy. And in the past, it was a physician's role to perform IV therapy. And now all the things that we do, I mean, our, our main focus is patient safety, of course, but there's so many things that all of us do in our different roles. We're, you know, we're not only patient care providers, but we're educators and we're advocates and managers and coordinators and we're role models and mentors. And so for all that we do, I, I just want to say that I'm grateful for all the components of this role that we're all able to fill for our patients. So uh, I'd like to join everyone in saying happy nurses week, day, and month as well. Absolutely. Now let's give a few updates for INS. Marlene, we have been so busy and we have a couple things that we want to share with you. Marlene, I want you to go first, and I want you to lead in with talking about our virtual program that's coming up in June. Sure. So June 29th and June 30th, we have a program titled Vessel Health and Preservation, and it's a virtual program, and it will consist of two half-day sessions, five hours in total, and we're going to focus on vein visualization to preserve vessel health. And we'll have that program live. And it also will be recorded and made available on demand in the INS Learning Center. 
So registration's open now. So we hope that we'll have a large uh, number of participants join us for that two-day session. Marlene, we have some really great sessions and really great speakers coming up for our Vessel Health Preservation Program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, Don. Um, first, we have Nancy Moreau, and she's going to lead two sessions about vessel health preservation and vein visualization, as well as she's going to discuss uh, in our other session about PIVC placement and how we need to use our evidence-based practice for the win-win of the patient and the clinician. And also we have Peter Carr, who's coming to us from Ireland, and he's going to speak to us about the use of education in promoting vessel health and preservation. So Marlene, tell us about the third session, because this is something we really haven't done before and a topic we haven't broached. Yeah, I'm really excited about this session. We have Dennis Ernst, and he is a phlebotomy specialist, and he's going to talk to us about use of technology in visualizing veins and improving our blood sampling, whether that's through a vascular access device or direct venipuncture. So we're really excited to have him join us as well. And we're going to conclude the two-day symposium with a discussion with the experts on peripheral intravenous catheter insertion essentials. So in our last session, you have yours truly, Dawn Barrett. We have Marlene Steinheiser and our other three speakers that we've just mentioned. We're going to be presenting a panel discussion on peripheral intravenous catheter insertion essentials. Now, at first, when you first hear this, that this is an essentials uh, presentation, um, you might wonder what that is, but you'd be surprised how many times INS gets asked to present the basics. And that's what we're going to do. Marlene, I know you're ready to share about INS 2021 in Las Vegas. Oh, yes, I am. We are very excited. We're going to be live on ground um, in August in Las Vegas, as you mentioned, for INS 2021. And we've developed a great lineup of sessions based upon your feedback that we've received in evaluations and in surveys. And so a little bit of the highlights. So we have a home infusion track with two days of sessions dedicated to your clinical practice in home infusion. And then we also have a PIVC um, clinical spotlight of several sessions. We know this has been a, a topic of conversation over the last you know, couple of years. And so we have various experts um, discussing aspects of PIVCs. And then we also have a day dedicated to vascular access device complications. So I'm very pleased with the various speakers and sessions that we have ready for you, waiting for you to see and join us in Vegas. Boy, those complications sessions are always so well attended. We're happy to have those. Um, so many great knowledgeable speakers. And many of our speakers are also those who who worked on the standards of practice revisions. Yes. And not only that, um, are the speakers that are part of the standards of practice committee members, but also we have a lot of our speakers presenting are incorporating the new standards into their presentation. So although there may be topics that may seem, as you mentioned before, that may seem basic or essential, we're incorporating the new standards into that education so that our members are aware of what's changed. So we're really pleased with this conference and really happy to see everyone join us in August. Absolutely.
Okay, the third thing that we were going to share today is we have a little package of pearls for you in honor of Nurses Month. We're going to be sharing some tips for designing department-based education or even organizational-based education for nurses. The first one that we want to talk about is an education design that we're going to call One and Done. And what this is, is a brief micro-learning session where we share just a bit of information, where little explanation is necessary, but as educators, we must reach every single clinician. So Marlene, I'm going to ask you to tell us how we can approach micro-learning effectively. Sure, Dawn. Yeah, I see microlearning to be conducted either live and or recorded. So you could conduct it in both ways. And what I would suggest is choosing a topic that you could provide maybe 10 to 15 minutes of a presentation with key points and some takeaways. You know, this type of learning could be very appealing for the clinician who desires knowledge about a topic and is provided with that need to know aspects of the topic. And the example I thought of was possibly like vascular access device flushing and locking according to organization policies. So if an organization wants to share their policies and provide that in a micro-learning session, that might be something they could record or have live um, for their clinicians. I find that with when we're sharing just a bit of information, and it is so short, sometimes even five minutes, sometimes it's really helpful just to have a handout, a very simple, brief handout, so that later that can be reflected on. Because when you learn something in a five-minute session or even a 15-minute session, it it takes a while to get that to a point, get that information to a place where you can remember it. Um, so a, a, a little handout is always great. Something with some color, something that people don't lose in their locker. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So for our next educational approach, let's talk about critical information dissemination. So typically for this type of information education, we're looking at maybe a half hour to one hour, but it again, it means every single individual, every clinician needs to have this information. We need to share, and sometimes it's a a change in process. Sometimes a return demonstration is required. Um, there are times where we might have a new device or something that's brand new to the organization. Everyone needs to get their hands on it and use it. Sometimes it's a different, sometimes it's just informational. Um, so where it's critical and it's information that we have to share. Marlene, tell us how to get there. So I'll take that similar example of flushing and locking according to an organization policy, because that topic can be very broad. That could take us a, a bit of time to cover. But if we were just conducting a micro learning, as you mentioned, we might just have a 5, 10, 15 minute presentation. But if we have a half hour to an hour, we might at that point present this topic in more depth. And we might perhaps present some of the research involved with flushing techniques or locking solutions. And this might be a type of presentation where you'll involve your audience a bit more. There may be polling that you might do, whether it's live with hand raising or polling if it's virtual and using technology. It could be Q&A as well as you mentioned, um, demonstration. And there can be a demonstration, rollout demonstration, and then some return demonstrations as well. So this might be a, a way that you can disseminate that type of information in a half hour to an hour. 
And when you're fully on ground, uh, let's say you're in your acute care organization, sometimes it's just best to load everything on a cart and be a traveling information station. Um, you can have a little plan or a route for the day, but um, always have your checklist, everyone that you've reached, everyone that you've teached. <laughs> right. Um, get those checkoffs done. Um, but sometimes it's best to go to the clinician instead of asking the clinician to come to you. And speaking of having the clinician come to you, educators are really familiar with this next category, and that's classroom education. And for this, we're looking at a time frame of one to four hours typically, and it's very structured engagement. And for some clinicians, especially ones who are used to being on their feet and they're used to being busy all day long and they have their hands and their head busy all day. When they come into a classroom setting, they are engaged for the first five to 10 minutes and then something happens. They get comfortable in that chair. And I can tell you, it's just, I get this. I, I totally understand how hard it is for the clinician who's used to being up and moving around to sit now in a room. And then we we shut the lights down and turn on a PowerPoint <laughs> session and we want everyone to stay awake. Um, so Marlene, I'm going to, with that little bit of introduction and the problems that are sometimes present with classroom education, I want you to give us some pearls. Sure. So as you're describing that situation, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about my past experience working with nursing students, as well as you mentioned, sometimes this happens with um, our licensed clinicians, but we do, we kind of check out sometimes if you're, you're sitting down and you're listening to someone with a PowerPoint. And so the way, you know, I have learned to engage our, our audiences, really understand what is it for them? What's in it for them? Is it something that they need to know because it's going to help save their patient? Is it something that's going to protect themselves and their license? Is it something that they can relate to? So if we have relatable case studies, if we can involve them in a conversation instead of just going through a PowerPoint, you know, can we um, do that live polling with the hand raising? Who's experienced this before? You know, maybe you'd be willing to share about your experience so that we can learn from each other. And so structuring that type of learning in that manner so that we're presenting content, but we're involving them every step of the way. And Q&A as well. We, you know, we always want to have Q&A. We could also think about having a small group breakout session where we get into a group and we're solving a, a problem. And so those types of ways we can engage our learners so that they're not falling asleep, hopefully, during our, our one to four hour session. It's always important to link education with something else. And sometimes it's with a bit of fun. Sometimes it's with a bit of food. Sometimes it's with movement. And for people who need to pace, have a space in the back of the room where they can get up and walk back and forth. They're still there. They're still attending. They just need to move. And sometimes that's how they learn best. And I think the days of classroom where we sit people in a chair and we expect them to just sit there and be a vessel that gets filled up from <laughs> whatever the, the speaker is sharing are gone and we need to um, just give some leeway, give some leeway so that people are in a, in a place where they can learn, where we've created an environment that's not only safe to learn, but conducive to learning. No lights out. 
and we and we know that 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 type of uh, methodology doesn't work. Sitting and just listening, our retention is just not going to be as great if we're you know just sitting and listening rather than being involved and participating and and potentially having demonstration hands on. Um, you know those case studies, those application type of scenarios. So all of that can help foster our our retention. You know we have. I'm talking about this just as in the last day and a half where I've been preparing the slides for part of our presentation that we're doing in June. And I have right now, what is it, maybe 30 slides. And these slides have are filled with words, 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 words. And they're all good words. <laughs> they're all good statements. They're all good bullet points. But now that I have that information there, now, as an educator, we're, we're challenged to make it creative, make it come alive. Um, anyone can read something. We could give that to them in a handout. So I guess we always, we, we like to joke about death by PowerPoint. But truly, if, if somebody is only just reading off the lines of a PowerPoint slide, the learners could have read that on their own. So being creative and allowing yourself as an educator to kind of turn up the dial a little bit. Think of how, how would I share this information that it would lock in someone's memory? And it, I bet it's not from a five-point bullet, <laughs> bullet point structure um, with, you know, a hundred words on a page. It's just not there. It, it really has to be attached to something else. Yes, definitely agree. Okay. So the last type of education that we want to talk about today that, that we might have some ideas about is annual review or competency assessment. So when we talk about annual review, um, that's something in a, in a more formal setting where everybody has to have annual review and everyone has to complete it. Those uh, documents have to be signed and those documents now go in the clinician's file. We know what we're talking about here. But the same approach holds true, that we really have to engage the learner. But we want to flip that around and we want to say, what is it that the learner needs to learn? And Marlene, when you were telling us about how INS 2021 has been structured, how we've received feedback, learners have told us, here's what we need. And we have gone through and diligently sought to create sessions that meet the needs of our membership, that meet the needs of our learners. So when it comes to competency verification, I really do like the Donna Wright model. And she has some methods, so I'm going to share a few of those right now. But um, this fits very well with annual review. But she has some domains that she works from. So if you're assessing domains of competency, you're looking at clinical, technical. And in infusion nursing, we know all about that. We, we have some technical clinical skills that we need to have validated competency for. But she moves on and she talks about critical thinking and then interpersonal skills. And under each of those categories are a number of things that should be and could be addressed. And then she moves over, and as we start considering competency verification, she asks us to determine the method that we're going to use. So we just talked about several methods, but some of the methods that could be used are 
testing or exams. And we we know that well. We're nurses. We we get tested and we have some little exams every once in a while. But the domain that's being discovered there that we're validating is cognitive skills and knowledge, and we're measuring that. And that's something we're all very familiar with. It's not fun. We're very familiar with it. Sometimes it's necessary. But another method is a return demonstration. And for in nursing, we definitely are familiar with this, but that's, a, that's that technical skill. But here's where Donna turns this on its ear. She said, what about evidence of daily work? Looking at your technical domain and assessing the actions and demonstrations that you do every day or that you might be called on to do, but you don't have the opportunity frequently. Another method is case studies. We love case studies. Nurses could read case studies every day because it tells the story and there's a mystery to be solved. And there's that place we wonder what's going to happen with this patient and did the clinicians help? Were they able to figure it out? What was the, what were the outcomes? Um, another area that Donna brings up are some exemplars. And this goes into that domain of critical thinking and interpersonal skills. Sometimes clinicians could show uh, competency by telling a story, writing it up themselves, describe a situation that they've experienced and the rationales that, that went along with the actions that were taken and describe. Because if you can fully describe it in written form, something that you've experienced in the clinical realm. You're validating your competency in an area. And and of course, that gets submitted. Others review it. And it's another method to use. There's peer review. There's self-assessment. There are presentations. There are so many things that we could do. But the idea is to ask the clinician, what is it that you really need to learn in your annual review? Now, we know that because of regulatory requirements, we have to do some things every single year, whether you do it every single day or not. But it really behooves us to make a list, a, you know, daily, monthly. Consider the things that you haven't touched in a long time. Identify for yourself what it is that you need a refresher on, what it is that you need to have competency validation on, if it's not designed organizationally for you, and then find a way to make that happen. And then identify the method that you're going to use to get there and the cognitive or the domain that you're going to access to validate competency. So um, there's lots of information out there. This is the Donna Wright model. If you're listening and want to check the show notes, I'll put some information in there about that. Um, there are many methods of doing annual review or competency validation. Uh, I would say though, that in the INS infusion therapy standards of practice, competency is addressed in standard five. And the title of standard five is competency and competency assessment, um, approaching it both, the idea of competency and assessing competency. And we've devoted several pages <laughs> to competency. And we know how really, really important it is. So yes, it's that thing we have to do every year. Bringing meaning to that is what's really important. Mar Marlene, you talked about that a little while ago. It's like, if you can get someone to think about, go ahead and say yeah. it. 
the patient. The patient's oh yeah, safety. Our, our focus is patient safety. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and this is you know one of the things that I wanted to to mention is that you did a great job summarizing uh, the whole topic of competency and detailing some of the points. One of the things that I think is is so important is that we why do we do this? Why do why do we want to make sure that we're competent? Well, what's the first priority? Patient safety, right? We want to make sure that our patients are safe. But then followed by that, we have a responsibility for our licenses. I mean, our we're, we have a regulatory responsibility to our license to be sure that we're competent and and legally it protects us if we're demonstrating our competency. But of course, the patient comes first. And it's the responsibility of the professional nurse to be competent in the, in the skills and the care that we provide. As much as it is the organization to help provide us those tools, but if we don't have those tools, we need to raise our hand and, and speak up or seek those tools that we need. And I think you mentioned that it's it's not something that we need to just look at annually. This is something we should look at, you know, even maybe at the end of you know every shift or every day or every week. Um, where where am I in need of some assistance here? Where mm-hmm. where do I want to really enhance my knowledge and my skills? And that's the time for us to self reflect and determine where our needs are. It's really up to us to determine that because no one else owns our practice but ourselves. So I think that it, it really is our, our responsibility to do that. Um, and, and maybe you haven't performed a skill in some time, and maybe it's not time for the annual review or competency, but you don't feel comfortable. That's the time to, to speak up mm-hmm. and seek those resources. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I hope that this is helpful for our listeners. Um, yeah. Marlene, just last weekend, I was talking to a nurse who works in an urgent care center. So not an emergency department. It's an urgent care. And patients can drop in with anything. And while she was visiting with me on the phone, she said, you know, in this past year with COVID, the types of things that they see at urgent care are a little different and sometimes a little more than what they were seeing before. But she said, you know, I haven't accessed a port for months now, but last year... I went in and I spent three days um, in an infusion center. She sought out education for herself, accessed ports a number of times, watched a number of times, spent three days in an area where there's plenty of opportunity to access ports and really get refreshed in that practice. Well, six months later, she hasn't done it again, but that person is going to walk in her sight. And she said, you know, I'm just, I feel uncomfortable. And yet, She's in a setting where it can happen. And um, knowing where your resources are, who your resources are in-house, you know, who do we have that we can call, but what else is our personal responsibility? And should we do something like this more often than once a year? Yeah, you're, you're right, Don. And, and there are times where you, you can't be prepared for every situation. And if you don't feel comfortable with a skill and you have a colleague that you can rely upon to, that's an expert or who can help you in that situation, you know, by all means, I, I think that's the, the goal is patient safety. So we want to rely on our experts for that. But then take that time afterwards to seek those resources so that you can become proficient again in that skill if, if it's something you've you know, not done in some time. Very good. So we want to talk for just a moment to nurses who are new to infusion practice. 
We have a couple offerings that are coming up for you. One of them we mentioned that's in the virtual program that we're putting out in June. One of those sessions is just PIVC, so peripheral intravenous catheter insertion essentials. This is for you. We're going to talk you through that whole piece. What do you what do you start out with in the beginning and how do you conclude? What are all the patient safety pieces there? And what are the clinician skills and technical pieces that you have to have to do that well? I think sometimes it's hard um, when you're new in an area of practice to find where you can get some information. And it's also very difficult sometimes to share what you don't know or where where you have some skills that you need to improve. Uh, find a safe person, find a safe place, ask about it and find out more. Another session that we have that's coming up is IV Therapy Boot Camp 2021. We're presenting that again this year at INS 20. 21. Um, and we're hoping to package that, but we also have a boot camp from last year that's on our website um, that you would be able to access um, as well. So if you have questions, you can reach out to INS Infusion Room. There's an email that's going to be given to you at the end of this recording. Let us know what your education needs are. We're always happy to hear. We're always happy to listen. But we also want to hear from new-to-practice nurses. How can we better meet your needs? And we can try and help you get there. Thank you, Don. And we're very happy to have anyone new join our practice. We welcome you and we hope that you're able to find the resources you need. And if there's something that's missing, please reach out to us and let us know. We'll be happy to hear your feedback and provide that educational um, gap and fill that gap with the education that you need. Thank you, Marlene, for joining us. And this concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room. Happy Nurses This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.